Support for WERU comes from our listeners and from the Maine Community Foundation, working with donors and other partners to improve the quality of life for all Maine people on the web at maincf.org. It's 10 o'clock and you are tuned to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor and streaming online at WERU.org. Talk of the Towns with your host Ron Beard is up next. Good morning and welcome to Talk of the Towns here on WERU. We try to go beyond the headlines to make sense of the issues facing Maine communities to share what works to seek alternative solutions. Talk of the Towns is produced with support from Cooperative Extension, the major educational outreach program of the University of Maine with offices statewide. Cooperative Extension puts knowledge to work with the people of Maine and like WERU, whose mission is to be a voice of many voices, operates out of a sense that everyone benefits when we share our knowledge our experience, our concerns, our perspectives. We're about to practice the magic of community radio in which those of us in the studio and you who are listening create a dialogue that we hope will be of benefit to our friends, our neighbors, and colleagues. I hope you'll stay with us for the next hour and talk of the towns. Well, this morning's talk of the towns is really about food and and the way we both produce food and uh, create food in the state of Maine. Maine has been long a, a breadbasket um, in the nation. Back um, in the Civil War times, we were shipping uh, food products all over um, the eastern part of the United States. And we've seen a resurgence in interest in food, and our guests here today can help us um, look at the science and safety of developing new food products here in Maine. Joining us in the studio are Beth Calder, who is an extension food science specialist. Welcome to you, Beth. Well, thank you very much for having us, Ron. Appreciate it. And her colleague, Jason Bolton. Jason is a food safety specialist with Cooperative Extension. Welcome, Jason. Thank you, Ron. Um, Also with us are some entrepreneurs who have used Cooperative Extension and perhaps other services to develop their food products. And in in the studio, we have Teresa Gaffney of Highland Blueberry Farm in Stockton Springs. Welcome to you, Teresa. It's good to be here. We also have uh, Jeff Wolowitz from Hiwa Tofu in Belfast. Welcome to you, Jeff. Hi, Ron. Thanks for having me. And uh, Kevin Burgoyne has joined us from Cumberland, uh, coming all the way up um, uh, the coast, or down the coast, we should say. Um, He's with Rossam LLC and is developing a barbecue sauce. Welcome to you, Kevin. Morning, Ron. Thank, thanks very much for having me. I appreciate it. Great. Well, let's uh, let's get a little bit of background on each of you before we dive into the topic of going to market. Um, Beth, a little bit about your own background and, and how you came to this work. Okay. Well, I'm from Maine originally. Grew up on a dairy farm in Skowhegan um, and uh, got my education here in the great state of Maine as well. Um, and I basically have a nutrition background, but uh, took a class with Al Bushway, a food science class, and that, that's, that's it. I, that's, I found my uh, interest right there. There's more of the science behind uh-huh. food. Yes, yes. Yeah. How about your colleague Jason? Jason, tell us a little bit about yourself and your work in food safety. Sure. Well, I am not a native Mainer. I'm originally from Phoenix, Arizona. But I uh, came to Maine in 2002, did an undergraduate in food science, um, did a master's degree in food science, and then a PhD in food science. Uh, started this position in 2010, and it's been food safety all the way. Uh, but I'm lucky enough to have a great colleague like Beth Calder. Mm-hmm. So we, uh, we try to tackle as many food safety issues or challenges with food companies. 
Well, I'll come back to you in a minute. Uh, Teresa, um, you grew up in this area. Uh, tell us a little about how you got to um, Highland uh, Blueberry Farm in Stockton Springs. Sure. My husband and I were married in 99, Tom Gaffney, and he had a blueberry farm. And so my father and I decided that we wanted to manage the blueberry field. And that's what we've been doing. Um, he did pass away in 2005, but I've kept on and uh, went from fresh to frozen to blueberry tea to chaga tea to now a pureed dehydrated blueberry product so. and that notion of, of, of starting local and then expanding is a really great story we'll come back to you in, in just a minute right. um, going now to um, uh, Jeff Wolovitz um, from Hiawa Tofu in Belfast how, how did you get started um, in, the, in the whole world of, of tofu <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll start the story in 2000 I graduated from college with a degree in astrophysics which is not, not, not so tofu. related to it <laughs> And um, sort of gave up on that, and it was a little too far away and felt I wanted something a little more relevant. So I spent the next three years farming on uh, various uh, small farms and really fell in love with the local food scene and I always loved food in general. And um, But sort of gave up on that. At that point, there really wasn't all that support that you have now for f beginner farmers uh, to get started. Gave up on that and... S Moved to Maine at that point and started teaching. I spent five years teaching high school science and never felt super comfortable with that. Wanted to get back into the local food system um, and still didn't feel that comfortable with um, being a producer. Um, and started looking for niches to fill within the local food system as a processor, taking agricultural product, local agricultural product, and processing them. And the niche that we sort of came across was tofu nobody was doing it and wanted to basically replace an out-of-state product with a with an in-state product great we'll come back to you in just a minute and that whole notion that not everyone who grows food wants to create a product from it and you're kind of filling that niche there yeah, but adding value yeah yes. yeah and now uh kevin burgoyne uh, kevin you're with um, um you're an engineer by training but you're making barbecue sauce Yes, I've been an engineer now for like um, 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 33 years, and it's been a great career. I've got, got absolutely no regrets about that, and I'll do that for a long time to come. But I've always loved to cook. I, you know, I've got uh, pictures of me and my dad back when I was a kid and had hair. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, I cooked then, and I've always done, done this, this sort of thing. And, and I was helping a guy for a while do um, um, barbecue. He had a, a business, and I learned the ins and outs of how to – cook a pork shoulder and a brisket and, and all that stuff and what's good barbecue, what's authentic barbecue and what's not. Um, and I found that this niche um, in, in sauce. I made my own sauce um, and I decided what the heck have I got to lose. Um, I, I didn't realize what an incubator main really is for food and developing uh you know, from from the ground up, because I certainly did um, a product and making sure that it's safe and getting it tested and everything that you need is here in Maine. I, that that I I found that out in in the last year through Beth, Great. and it's it's just been a wonderful experience. Great. Well, yeah. later on we'll open up our phone lines, but right now, uh, Beth, tell us a little bit about the kind of the the background. Um, uh, Kevin has just said um, what I think the theme of the show is is that that Maine is developing lots of food products. But there's a desire to both t kind of test out the business side and, and make sure that the business model is sound, but also to m make the food is safe. But tell us a little bit about what your role is and, and how you work with, with clients like these folks. Sure. Uh, so basically, Jason and I are kind of like the outreach arm of the University of Maine. 
uh, through Cooperative Extension to reach out to these folks who are interested in taking their idea or their product from their home kitchen and starting to commercialize that product. So we're there to help folks through understanding the maze of regulations. Maybe it's like food safety um, concerns or meeting some sort of mandated programs by the FDA, the USDA. And then we also not only conduct research, applied research, education trainings, such as our very um, popular recipe to market, which Kevin can speak to later on in the program, I'm sure, but also with the testing services we provide. And so for canned food products, there's always that risk of, well, is it safe? Because there's no air in the environment of the can. So botulism is always, you know, question number one, is this product safe to eat or not? So we conduct some testing, uh, review the process to make sure the heating steps are appropriate so that these folks are producing some high quality and safe products. Mm. And this this role of the, the University of Maine as a land-grant institution mm -hmm. has been there for um, hundred and so on years. Um, you're kind of bringing it to the, the modern day. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and Jason, the, just a, a little bit more about um, food safety and, and how you get involved with clients like these. Uh, Teresa said that she has a dry product, so she doesn't have quite so many concerns. When you're dealing with moisture, you've got more concerns. Tell us a little bit about that. Um, well, I'm going to speak more to, I think, the challenges that some processors have. So in a, in a product like Teresa's, you know, you have the, the low uh, moisture, low water activities, we term it. But uh, some of the other concerns that you have to worry about are sanitation, you know, so the appropriate sanitation in the facility. And uh, in addition to that, it's not only the appropriate sanitation in the facility, it's what is, how is this uh, facility designed? So flooring materials, drains, walls, things like that. So Beth and I offer um, short courses on sanitation, things like that. I also, or, or Beth will also go into a facility and help them design the facility at the beginning, make improvements, uh, go in and do audits, um, you know, so that they can produce a safe quality product and also a product that has a long shelf life or the longest shelf life it, it could possibly have because mm -hmm. uh, it's all directly correlated to proper sanitation. Mm -hmm. So what, what would be the basics? What would you tell someone who's coming to you for the first time and they're saying, I've got a product? Um, um, what, what would we, how would you lead them through that discussion, the earliest discussion? Um, Jason first and then Beth? Sure. Um, well, we need to, you know, it's one of those things, every product is a little different. Uh, so understanding the product, understanding the product package, you know, things like that. So get to know the product, and then it's figuring out, you know, what type of processing equipment do they want to use? Is it something where it's very small, they're using pots, pans on a stove? Or is it something larger, where they have larger pieces of commercial equipment? Um, and then from there, it's, are they using a shared kitchen? Are they, do they have their own facility? Is it at home? Um, you know, so it's figuring out all those details. No matter who you are, when it comes to processing food, you have to follow things called good manufacturing practices. And so that's something that the FDA has written and says, look, the, the, the uh, food product has to be produced in a facility that maintains a certain level of sanitation. Mm. So if we go back in time, um, certainly the, the coast of Maine was, was uh, filled with um, lobster canning uh, factories. Um, we had uh, canning factories that um, helped with, with uh, beans and, and other kinds of products, and those were shipped around the country. Um, what do we take from that era that we bring to the modern era? Mm. Well, so, uh, you know, canning of low-acid foods, like you're talking about, those foods that don't have um, high acidity or a lot of acidifiers like vinegars or lemon juice or something like that, those low-acid foods um, are, are processed in a certain way, and, and they're processed with very high heat and high pressure. Uh, so, you know, they have a very long shelf life. They're shelf-stable. Uh, they don't require refrigeration. 
So that process hasn't changed all that much in quite a long time um, since we have now have an understanding of, of botulism risks and things like that. However, that industry, as you mentioned, is not all that present in Maine anymore. Um, a lot of those facilities have now been repurposed to do other things, you know, things like lobster processing that's not canning anymore, so freezing, since we now have a lot of refrigeration technologies and refrigeration available. Um, so those things uh, haven't changed that much. However, the regulations around uh, cleaning, sanitizing, the understanding of all those things uh, has come a long way. Mm. And Beth, how about you? What were, are some of the questions that you would ask um, a new client, somebody who's approaching you for the first time? Pretty much all the same questions that Jason asked, basically getting uh, an understanding of what type of product they want to produce. And it's all based on, you know, what sorts of uh, products they want to do. Is it a barbecue sauce? Is it uh, it's a dessert sauce? So they're very different the way we test them. Um, and also their processing methods, how are they producing them. Uh, one thing I've noticed in the change of the scope of how the products, that, it's not just jams and jellies that are coming in for reviews. We're getting more and more sophisticated products, more fermented foods. We just had a, a fellow uh, wanting to produce miso here in Maine. So something that's been produced for many years, but now wanting to bring it here to Maine and then understanding, trying to determine all of the fermentation. But for us, it's the lens of the food safety lens, trying to look to see, you know, what sort of processing methods would be appropriate and safe under our regulations here mm -hmm. today. So you've got colleagues. I'll just give you a chance to provide a little more background on the business side. And then um, the department that you're in actually does those um, taste tests. And, and, and sometimes they're actually developing product ideas. So tell us a little bit about, about that background, and then we'll go around the table able to learn more about these entrepreneurs. Sure. We do have some resources at the university. We have a commercial kitchen, a pile of plants, and some great facilities for food processors as well as student research faculty. We do have a sensory consumer testing center as well, so taste tests can be done at the university. Uh, All some those guinea pigs work. up there. That That's can... right. <laughs> a lot of people say it's just students, right? It's like, no, we have uh, <laughs> staff and faculty that are part of this sure. group as well. So we did have one uh, faculty member who was in her 90s, and she used to enjoy participating in the taste test so it's quite a quite a range of folks uh, age-wise that uh, can be part of our database that can participate in these taste tests mm. and your colleagues Jim uh, McConnell and Louis Bassano do some kind of business counseling um, they do. around that too we we do have a Jason and I have a very large uh, kind of collaboration but within the School of Agriculture as well as in cooperative extension and we've developed a five-week workshop series called recipe to market uh, and we take this workshop across the state of Maine where there's interest. Uh, we were just in Cumberland County last fall. I believe Kevin uh, was participated in that recipe to market. So we teach the food licensing, food safety aspects. We actually have a Maine Department of Agriculture inspector come in and, and talk about mm -hmm. the licensing and regulations. And then I kind of come in with the food safety uh, processing, uh, University of Maine resources side. And then Jim and Lewis talk about marketing, business plan development, pricing your products. Um, you know, web presence. Mm. So. Well, let's let's go to, to Kevin um, as a participant in that um, program called From Wet Recipe to Market and tell us about your experience. You, you had this notion that you had a product you wanted to develop, this barbecue sauce based right. on your cooking background. How did you learn about um, the uh, the course and what was your experience? It was a great experience. Um, it, and it it was somewhat dumb luck on, on my part. I knew I, I needed to find something because I, I didn't know what I didn't know. Mm. And there was the, I, I was told by 
a lot of folks that I had a great sauce and I should sell it. And, you, you know, we, I'm sure a lot of folks get that. Well, I decided to do it. I figured, what have I got to lose? So, uh, but I stumbled on, on Beth's name on the UMO website. And I believe I sent, sent you an email through that and just, you know, asked dumb questions. You came back and said, oh, by the way, there is a class being held in Falmouth, and I live in Cumberland, so right the next, next town over, called From Recipe to Market. And it was it was within weeks. I was in that class, and that told me everything that, that I needed to know, answered all my questions, or gave me the contacts of the people that I, I could get answers from. It, it, it was a great class. I really recommend it. Did you have any aha moments that um, either propelled you forward or gave you pause about um, what you were doing? I never had one minute of pause, ever. Um, any any question I had was answered. Um, the, the big... A big part for me was was food safety, and that's where Beth Beth came in, and, and Jason. Uh-huh. They, I wanted to make sure that it was safe, and that's number one. Food safety is number one, and you came back with with these with the results that it was safe, it was shelf stable, um, and you know you came back with the pH and all those numbers that you you come back with. But um, your your facility up there, Beth, is just fantastic. It just it, um, is a great place for people who don't know how to do, go through this process. To do it and do it successfully because I'm 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 proof of that. Mm. And yeah. what about the marketing end? Um, what did you learn in that a- aspect of this particular course? Well, well, you brought in folks from from like Hannaford. Uh, there was a rep there, um, you know, and they're a big store. Um, and I learned the uh, the uh, legalities of of trying to market this stuff. What stores want? You know, do you have, do you have to have insurance? Do you have to have a barcode? Um, uh, what else do you need to market in certain sectors? And and I'm just now going to get into that big time now you know, the, here this spring, um, and that I'm really looking forward to. Um, but you made available all the folks that we needed to talk to to, to start that, and there and it's just it's it's a start is what it is, and then you start to network, talk to more people, um, and you you find the folks that you need to talk to. Who are some of the other folks in your class? Do you remember any of the other foods or or people who were or in the class? Oh yeah, there was a guy right next to me, who uh, markets uh, uh, makes and markets Jello shots. <laughs> and let me tell you, they were fantastic. <laughs> well, I hope those. I hope the liquor part was also grown in Maine. Well, wanna... well, odd, oddly enough, I think it's very low in liquor. Oh, okay. Because yeah. he told me it, yeah. it, it, and he can make those out of anything. I don't mean to sound like a, a you know, I'm a marketing guy for him, but I, he, it was fantastic. He can make. It, I, th- I think it was fall, and he was making pumpkin pie, and he was uh-huh. making all this stuff. That 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 was incredible. So it it covers the gamut. We had. We had folks making um, salsas and uh, um, any type of a food that you can imagine, but that was an interesting one, the uh, Jello shots. Great. Well, let's um, go to, to Teresa, um, get that microphone right up close to you, Teresa, and, and uh, tell us a little bit more about um, how you went from blueberry fields to all kinds of products using um, leaves and berries and everything else. Sure. Actually, we started in 2004 in a little high school chemistry class project at Hamden Academy. Uh, Dr. Christy Crow uh, was working with the National Science Foundation, and she needed a project for her kids. And she was talking to me one day, and I just said, you know, I've always wondered about blueberry leaves in the blueberry field, if if the wild Maine blueberry leaves had any value to them. And she said, well, you know, that sounds like an interesting project. Let me just check and make sure 
that, you know, if any research has been done on that. She came back and she said, you know, they they really have not looked at the value of the blueberry leaf for, you know, for consumption. So she said, let's go ahead and get the kids out here. We'll harvest the leaves in the fall, take it back to their lab, and we'll take a look at it. And um, she called me up after all the results came in, and uh, they they had it set up in their, their little high school lab where they were using photospectrometers, and they were looking at antioxidants or anthocyanines of the leaves. And she said, okay, she said, she says, you're not going to believe this, but uh, the results show that the blueberry leaves were higher in anthocyanines than they are in the blueberry fruit. She said, but before we get real excited, I'm going to take it back to the lab at the university, and we're going to just double check, make sure it was done right. And lo and behold, Al Bushway was the uh, director at the time, and uh, both of them called me up and said, okay, this is pretty big. What are you going to do with it? And I said, well, I, 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 the only thing I can think of is try to look at a blueberry and so um, I applied for three main technology seed grants totaling 21500 for the research and development of the whole plant wild main blueberry tea. And that began my longtime life with the University of Maine Food Science and Cooperative Extension. And I haven't looked back since. So was the tea your idea? Did you just come out or, or did you know about others who were using different kinds of, of uh, leaves to make tea from Maine? Yeah. So, you know, you think of rabbits raspberry leaf tea. Mm. You think of, you know, just all the medicinal teas that are out there and, and you, you know, it just seemed like such a natural fit. Okay, so if they're really high in anthocyanines and this will be really good for people to drink, you know, how are we going to get blueberries, which are a wet product? How are we going to get those dried and get that in, t- you know, with a dried blueberry? How do you even harvest wild main blueberry? Because mm. anybody who knows what a wild main blueberry plant looks like, it's down it's low. It's down low. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so we hand harvest those leaves. So we had to go through all the steps. We had to figure out how do we harvest them, you know, what's dry, what is the mold, yeast, bacteria count of all the products, the dried blueberries as well as the blueberry leaves. Mm. So, And so now your range includes the teas, but you're doing things with ground um, dried blueberries as well. Tell yeah. us about your range of products. Yeah, so, so we would make our blueberry tea, our whole plant wild main blueberry tea. Um, And again, you know, we are organic, which is really important because you're going to be steeping those leaves Mm. in hot water, so you don't want the chemicals. But anyways, um, you know, we started with the blueberry tea and we would eat the pureed dehydrated blueberry fruit. And somebody said to me one day, why aren't you selling this? And I said, well, because I'm making tea. Why would (laughs) I sell this? And uh, lo and behold, a couple of years later, I started selling the blueberry bark. It's an organic wild main blueberry bark, which is a chip, a puree, dehydrated, nothing else added to it, uh, blueberry chip. And from there, we went to sprinkles. So we put it in a glass jar so people can sprinkle it on yogurt, ice cream, salads. And now this year, I've started smoothie powders. And it is, again, the puree, dehydrated blueberry fruit ground up into a powder so people can shake into their smoothie drinks. So we've developed the dried product, 
but we're also looking at, and this is another project that I'm going to be looking at um, hopefully in the fall with Beth, um, and that is what we're going to actually look at um, harvesting more of the blueberry leaves with other organic blueberry farmers so that we can meet a, a big market. Uh, I've got companies calling me saying, do you have 500 pounds of blueberry leaves? And I'm like, well, I've only harvested 37 last year. So, you know, it, it's about figuring out how to make this a bigger scale. Moving to, moving to scale. Yeah. And so if, if we remember that phrase um, when people are processing pigs, everything but the squeal, you're certainly in the in the range of yeah. taking the blueberry plant and developing everything there. Everything there, yeah. So it's been really fun to do something very untraditional with our blueberries. It, you know, it's it's been really a, an exciting adventure. Mm -hmm. And um, now now to, to Jeff, get that microphone right um, up, up close, Jeff. Um, tell us a little bit more about the, the journey um, from <coughs> astrophysicist to, to teacher to um, producer of, of of, uh, tofu, especially um, the notion that you're using um, main-based products to do that. Mm. Yeah, that was part of the initial impetus was main-grown soybeans. Little did mm -hmm. I know they're sort of difficult to grow in Maine, but uh, the growers that we've worked with are doing a great job pushing it forward. So we started production making tofu in 2008 in September in Camden and behind the Knox Mill complex in a single bay of a three-bay garage mm. and uh, spent three and a half, four, or almost four years there. And it was pretty steady growth. We started off around 300 pound, 200 to 300 pounds a week during that first. I was a part-time school teacher that last year at Searsport District High School. So I would teach two or three days a week and then make tofu one day a week. And it just sort of steadily grew. And then by the summer, I decided I was definitely done teaching, but the tofu piece was working. Picked up our first distributor, Crown of Maine Organic Cooperative. And by the end of that summer, we were up to about 600 pounds a week. And then, you know, the following year, it grew to 800. And then we hit about 1,000 pounds a week by our third year. And then things sort of leveled off at that point. I sat there for about three years trying to do everything I could to grow the, the business and increase our sales, but it, it wasn't moving forward. At that point, we just packaged fresh tofu. So we would, I would make the tofu, come in big. When it's finished, it's in a 25-pound block. We'd cut those up and pack them in fresh water in a bucket. And shelf life on that is pretty limited. With a wet product like that that's uh, highly perishable, as soon as you touch it, basically your shelf life is, mm -hmm. is over because there's bacteria, yeast mold everywhere and no matter what. So if you touch it, it you're, you're sort of done. So we would just have maybe a week, two weeks shelf life and that was a pretty big limiting factor as well as the fact that it was in a 25-pound bucket or a 10-pound bucket even. It didn't lend itself to retail sales very well, though some natural food stores would do it. Um, and then in 2012, we moved to Belfast to the Coastal Farms and Foods Processing Facility. It was an incubator space. We were um, one of their anchor tenants. Spent a year and a half uh, with them. Um, that started in September of 2012. And then in 2014, in May, the business dissolved. They um, had very high debt and very little revenue. Um, and so, you were and paying your rent. I was paying my rent. <laughs> but they, they had, I, I was, but it wasn't enough. Yeah. Um, so they dissolved. We were able to get a lease with the building owners. Um, but at the same time, our rent went up substantially. So 
we were really pressed to grow the business, and it really sales have been pretty flat for three years. Um, and um, what we were working on developing, well, there was a small sidetrack into soy milk, and that was an interesting one. I had people constantly asking me, hey, do you sell soy milk? Do you sell soy milk? And to make tofu, first you make soy milk, and then it's like making cheese. You, ma- you take the soy milk and turn it into tofu and whey, just mm-hmm. like cheese making. So I said, okay, there was soy milk or there was sort of developing a retail package tofu, something that could sit on the shelf, have a longer shelf life. That one seemed challenging. The soy milk seemed easier because we already made it. Mm-hmm. So I decided to, to pursue that and got pretty excited and thought this was I fell into a trap here. because Everybody was t- telling me, oh, you should make soy milk. You should sell it. I said, great. How much can I set? How much can I make? is where I started, and I said, oh, I can make, you know, this 500 gallons a week or something like that, so I kind of geared up to do that and hadn't done the market research, invested a a bit of money into it and got going, and we were selling, after nine months, we were selling maybe 50 gallons a week, Mm -hmm. and it really wasn't supporting the investment I had made into it. When Coastal Farms shut down, I sort of put an ax on that line and stopped producing soy milk for the time being because it was so much effort and and um we had to focus on increasing our sales so we moved back to the retail packaging scheme jason helped uh helped a lot with developing that package and what we could do and what we couldn't do and then by january of 2015 we launched our retail packaging where we cryovac it in a shrink wrap uh, vacuum package we vacuum package it in individual one-pound packages and sell and sell that, and since then we've um, we've over doubled our our sales and production in the past 18 months. Um, so you found a, a place where the consumer was ready to buy yeah. um, because of the convenience of having a, a one-pound versus what did you say the earlier packages? Big were, bulk, a 25-pound bucket. Right, so, right, right. and what it's enabled in addition to something that's easier to that sits on the shelf is that it opened us up to more distribution mm-hmm. networks because we get a much longer shelf life when it's been vacuum sealed. We it's um uh, three months shelf life. So now we can enter new distribution networks. So it wasn't like we get the order, we make it, and we ship it, and then it needs to get to the end user within a week. Now we have a few weeks at least, mm. and then you know months actually. Mm. Though we we get it out a lot sooner than that. So tell me a little bit about the process of working with with, with Jason and that notion that you could you could do a different packaging yeah. um, to extend the life of your uh, product. Yeah, we were you know really looking at different packaging schemes and the equipment needed to do it and the technical difficulties. And um, I thought the vacuum packaging was out of the question for a while and uh, around reduced oxygen environments. And there's no uh, acid in there. But as we continue to talk and uh, about it one time, Jason said, well, but it's a vegetable product. It's not meat, seafood either. And there's just different risks associated with it. And sure, you can vacuum package it. And after you know, a couple months of trying to, we looked like the tubs that you see in Nassillion where they, um, they, they have the, the plastic tub with the film on top and water in there. Just seemed like it was going to be challenging to do. Uh, Jason said, "Yeah, vacuum package it." And we had a vacuum packager from uh, earlier, from a couple years before. So we got that up and running, and uh, and it's been great. Since mm-hmm. it's made a real big difference for the business. We're now um, we've been able to get into a good number of Hannaford supermarkets. We're in most. Uh, we're in 29 Hannaford throughout the state um, since uh, April, or maybe even earlier than that. Sorry, mid mid winter we started. Uh, that and have grown to a good 
number of uh, distributors other than that, five or six is, distributors. Is there a story behind the name? Hewa? Hewa. It means peace in Japanese. Uh-huh. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So... And Jason, what do you remember in terms of, of kind of doing your homework and doing the kind of counseling thing about this this uh, journey um, that uh, uh, Jeff was on? Well, um, I, I still remember the first time I visited <laughs> Jeff, uh, yeah. which he laughs at the story, but uh, I get the address and I'm going to Camden and it took me a minute to find it and then I figured out which garage door. <laughs> to open up, right? I, no, it wasn't even open up, oh. it was to knock on. Uh-huh. Uh, but then working with Jeff and figuring out, you know, some of the bottlenecks of his procedures, um, you know, the facility design and all those other things. So as he grew out of that facility into the next one, we tried to think ahead and figure out, okay, what is, what's some of the layout, what's some of the equipment? Um, And I think for Jeff, and I don't want to put words in his mouth, I think a lot of it was just figuring out um, the kind of the, how he could educate himself about certain practices and, you know, best practices versus what's just required. So, um, I think those are some of the big things. And I think, you know, Jeff put a lot of research time into looking at uh, even just the retail packs. You know, it's not as simple as just vacuum packaging. Mm-hmm. There are other steps involved. Mm-hmm. So I don't want anybody to think, oh, we'll just throw it in a vacuum package and then it lasts three months. <laughs> right. There's a lot of other steps involved and it's kind of some proprietary stuff that Jeff's figured out to, to make the product not only safe, but also have a long shelf life. Mm. So things have come a long way. It's been mm-hmm. a lot of fun working with Jeff because prior to that, I think my only experience with tofu would be to go to the grocery store and then put it in a uh, wok, and that was about it. <laughs> right. So the, even learning about the process of it, um, I had a vague understanding of how to put it together, but it becomes very clear when you, you – uh, I never really assisted, but when I watched Jeff process over mm. the course of many hours. So it's a lot of, lot of effort and a lot of um, time to go into processing tofu. So I give them a lot of credit. Mm. Let me just remind listeners they are tuned to Talk of the Towns. Our topic this morning is going to market, the science and safety of developing new food products in Maine. You've just heard from Jason Bolton, who is an extension food safety specialist. He's joined by his colleague Beth Calder, who works in the food science area. And our entrepreneurs, um, you've just heard from Jeff Wolovitz from Hewa, Tofu in Belfast. Um, also here is Teresa Gaffney from Highland Blueberry Farm in Stockton Springs and Kevin Burgoyne of Rossum LLC developing a barbecue sauce. Um, we'll open up our phone lines now. Uh, give us a call if you've got uh, your experience to share, your questions, or your comments. Um, here on Talk of the Towns, the number is one 866 625-9378 or if you're calling locally 469-0500 I'd like to you know kind of go back to the the notion of, of st- where you started as entrepreneurs um, each of you bring different background than might be expected or, or typical what in your background um, has helped you um, you know develop your product and and then um, you know go through the rest of the process we'll start with Teresa and then work our way around the table well I often joke that I didn't start off as a kid going oh when I grow up <laughs> I want to be a blueberry farmer you know I mean it's one of those things that You you rake blueberries when you're a kid, so that's your first introduction. Um, You know, you're trying to make a few dollars to buy school clothes, that kind of thing. Um, But then it was was really just... 
a desire to, uh, with five children, have something for them to do. <laughs> and so we started out with the farming and, um, and I think too, just really the notion of doing something that was really, um, you know, outside doing something that is very Maine mm -hmm. and you can't get any more Maine than wild blueberries, mm -hmm. of course. Um, and then certainly we go into the organic, you know, we, we went that way and became certified in 2002 through uh, Mofka. Um, but my background, I think, has just always been a love for, for the the different, <laughs> something different. Um, and, you know, we did the fresh, we did the frozen, but, you know, we wanted to do something other than the blueberry jams or mm -hmm. blueberry sauces and, you know, that kind of thing. And so, you know, you just kind of keep asking questions. And that's really how we started was just asking the question, what value do blueberry leaves have? And mm. that really opened the door um, once we started thinking outside the box, you know, to, to really some really fun products. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and again, it's just that love of wanting to put a good, safe, local product out there on the market for people to enjoy. And, you know, I remember going uh, back to Hamden Academy and talking with the kids and the teacher, Bill Latham at the time, um, you know, he said, so what's your plan? And I said, well, I'm going to go around the world with this product. And, you know, we have gone around the world with our product. So that's, you know, pretty fun, even though it's maybe one tea bag at a time or one cup at a time. It's, you know, it's just really doing something unique and different. Great. How about you, Kevin? Um, your engineering background must help a little bit in terms of thinking through how to do things in a logical, stepwise kind of process. But what else in your background has helped you in the development of your barbecue sauce? Well, I, uh, uh, be, being an engineer, you know, you tend to be technical. Um, and, uh, you know, when I worked, worked with Beth, they, they gave me the, the process, the approved process to... Um, Make my sauce, and I follow that right right to the T. It's a procedure. So, for me. following a recipe, you know, yeah. that's 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 pretty logical for an engineer to kind of know the process and, and follow that. Yes, exactly. Right. And measuring the pH, you know, we, we got to know what the pH is to to make sure it's in the right range and stuff like that. Um, and I've just I've I've always liked fe feeding people, and I and I and I like to see the appreciation, you know, that, that, that they have when you do feed them. And I, you know, I fed a lot of people and, and, uh, and I, you know, I, I like that, uh, post gathering, um, uh, appreciation that people give to you because they, because they really do appreciate it. Mm. So yeah. if you were, again, we're not on television, we can't, we can see the product here in the studio, but I can't share that with the listeners. What, what is special or unique? What, what, do, what are you putting in your secret sauce that makes it a, a, a great product? Well, I always just, just wanted to make a sauce that I liked. Mm -hmm. Really, mm -hmm. that that was it. I've I've had a lot. There are many out there. You can go into any store right now, and there's a wall of barbecue sauces. Mm -hmm. I just want to make a sauce that that it that I think is a good product. Goes with um, um, you know most of the meats that that, that you serve. Um, I I uh, or tofu. Tofu. I've had folks that, that, that will dip vegetables in it. Okay. They, they, they dip vegetables in it. Some will eat it with just a spoon. Uh -huh. You know, that, that's the type of feedback that I got. And, and so, and, and once again, I just said, you know, what the heck have I got to lose? Mm -hmm. So, so that's, that's why 
I wanted to try it. But I, I think you know, I make this in small batches, and that's one of the things. And you know, I'm sure I'll work with you, Beth, in the future to scale this thing up, but only to a certain point where I can control the quality. Um, I don't know that I want to go to a mass producer where they make you change ingredients because it's cheaper or it's easier for them to get. Uh, no high fructose corn syrup, certainly. Um, and I, you know, those types of things make a difference. So I'm, I'm sure that I'll, I'll know where that point is. Mm. Um, where I, I can maintain the quality and and uh, you know n not lose what I've started. Mm. And how about you, Jeff? Um, what in your background kind of uh, allows you to to uh, continue this 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 journey? Um, well, first I want to want to piggyback on something sure, that sure. Uh, Kevin mentioned about the appreciation for their product, mm. and uh, it is great. It is. I love that. So, in the past seven years, we've sold. Probably over 350,000 pounds of tofu at this point. And when I do the math out, if you figure a bite is about half an ounce or so, it comes out to about 10 million bitefuls of, of happy bitefuls of tofu, which mm. is just amazing uh, to think about. It's a lot of uh, bites. Mm. Um, background, I would almost say, you know, one of the, one of the greatest, mo most important things that have helped, that has helped move me forward is surrounding myself with a with a team an excellent team and that consists of my employees i've been fortunate to just have awesome employees all along all throughout my family consultants a couple here as well as mentors and then peers as mm -hmm. well though the peers were always at least for me so ridiculously busy because uh, it's pretty just crazy uh, um running an operation like i do at least that we never have any time mm. to meet peers mm. But um, those consultants and mentors that are out there, there's an, an incredible number of resources here in Maine other than Cooperative Extension that I've tied into, and these guys have been tremendous help. But we also have, um, I'll just name a couple because they're great yes, please. To, to use and have. Uh, Maine MEP, the Manufacturing Extension mm -hmm. Partnership. Um, we're really fortunate to have um, them here, and actually we're one of the few states to have a, um, a food specialist on their team. And I brought a little information about each of them from – their website but they are just it says on their website they are looking to create opportunities for Maine's small and medium-sized manufacturers including food manufacturers by helping them become more efficient productive and globally competitive or not globally mm -hmm. like, like me um, so they've just been a tremendous resource and um, just good work I've found uh, sometimes you have to be careful with with consultants anybody can say they they're want to be a consultant and charge $300 an hour or whatnot but um this is a uh, MEP has been spot on. The other one is um, business consulting. Um, through Cooperative Extension has uh, some resources there. There's also in, within the state, there's CEI. And um, I've worked with Mainstream Finance, also provides uh, free business consulting. is really tremendous. And then the other resource we have in the food sector is Slow Money Maine, mm -hmm. um, which is also a tremendously strong organization right now. And from their website, um, uh, it says they're an intentionally inclusive, diverse network representing many sectors and communities in Maine with a focus on supporting local sustainable food systems. They convene gatherings, connect people to each other's needs, and catalyze the flow of funds and technical assistance to a wide variety of food businesses. They don't have money to give out, but they help make the connections to facilitate mm -hmm. flows, financing, grants, as well as a tremendous amount of technical support that they provide. And um, it's a great organization for anybody working in the food system here in Maine. They meet every other month in uh, Gardner and a couple other 
places. It says here on their website their next gathering is uh, yesterday, so <laughs> <laughs> July. Great. Um, check Great. out their Well, their I'll remind website. listeners that they're tuned to Talk of the Towns. We're talking about going to market, the science and safety of developing new food products here in Maine. The number is one 625 9378 Give us a call if you've got um, a story to tell or a question to ask our guests here in the studio, which includes uh, Beth Calder and Jason Bolton both of the University of Maine Cooperative Extension. Uh, Beth, um, so we've heard these three stories, and I I suspect they're pretty typical of of the kind of of, uh, change that's happening in in food in Maine. Any comments about that shift or that trend that you're seeing, um, how how this is developing, and and this notion that, um, you know, people want, like these folks, to develop a really good quality product um, based in Maine? And what, what, tell us a little bit more about that. Sure, that is very typical. I think a, I think we have a lot of pride here among our main food producers producing a high-quality product. I see that. Uh, I work closely with our main cheese guild. See that as well. Um, these folks are, are asking for dairy sanitation classes because they take such pride in, in their product and making sure it's safe and high quality. So, mm-hmm. um, And I think that, folks, uh, you do hear a, a, a lot of different stories. It's not just people who have a culinary background, which you do see that, and they're developing these products, but sometimes it's like, well, I, I kind of would like to retire and, and uh, maybe have this as my retirement project and start a business or uh, take a, like, with Teresa's story here, um, I have a farm here. I'd like to develop a value-added food product, maybe make a little bit more money than just selling just straight berries mm-hmm. from the farm. Mm-hmm. Jason, what would you add to this, some of the things that you've seen as, as trends or, or uh, themes in, in your work and, and uh, um, the, the state of Maine? Yeah, I mean, I, I 100% agree with what Beth said, but I think one of the biggest themes is the fact that the food economy is growing fast in mm-hmm. Maine, um, and that's small um, are very small, small and, and large companies kind of all around. So I think that's kind of exciting. I think it's exciting even starting at the food service, uh, that kind of level, and then growing from there into the commercial food market. So it's it's exciting, and I think people in general are aware that, you know, they never can know enough. You know, they can always grow their education. So that's kind of where our our role is, is, is helping them through not only the challenges but also maybe be proactive and help them through the educational process of developing their food products safely. So mm-hmm. that's that's kind of the exciting part. There's an awareness of that. So you can imagine that um, chefs or restaurants would have an interest in these kinds of products, and we're seeing, certainly seeing them use that as a marketing tool. You mentioned food services, um, things like uh, cafeterias and hospitals. Do you see much interest in developing that end of kind of buying local and, and figuring some of those things out as well? Oh, absolutely. Beth and I have been involved in many conversations with those food service entities, um, you know, helping them buy local, connecting them with the right people, you know, if it's a commodity like Jeff's product or or whoever it may be to help them connect um, those things. So that's another thing that Beth and I do is try to make those connections between companies. So if, you know, one company's making a um, commodity, can it can, can it be used in another company's product? Mm-hmm. So those connections are also really important. Mm, great. I'll list our phone numbers one more time, one 625 9378 Join us um, as we talk about going to market, the science and safety of developing new food products in Maine. So I'll ask our entrepreneurs um, here th- this morning um, what they wish they had known um, before they started out, because there's probably people who are listening to the show who have an idea and they can benefit from your wisdom 
so to speak. But are there some things that you wish you had known as you started out um, this process? Um, how about you, Kevin? Do you have any any thoughts about that? Um, I've gone at a slow pace. Uh-huh. Um, be- you know, I, I, I didn't have all the funds I that, that a lot of folks wouldn't have. I didn't go out and borrow money. I wasn't going to do that. It was just going to be, you know, money out of the bread account, um, yeah. really. And uh, so I've, I, I've been going um, by uh, 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 small steps. But but really, the class from recipe to market is is the class that, that you need to get all the, to get the groundwork laid. Here's what I need to do, uh-huh. A, B, C. Uh-huh. Um, I, I've just uh, uh, given my paperwork to the state to create the LLC formally. Um, I, I think I would have done that up front. Uh-huh. Um, yep. You know, done done that first. Um, and uh, Is that a very involved process? No. No. So no, it would be not. an easy thing to, to get on your checklist and, and do that relatively Knock soon. Knock that right out. Right. Yep. Right. Uh, yep. Yep. Do that. Um, you, you know, that's a very easy thing to uh, um, get out of the way. Um, and, and, and I think, you know, there are a few other things, but... Um, you know, I'm just about about ready now to to get out there in earnest. And Great, start, and and you had that this. you had that kind of um, I guess you could say benefit of having a full time job, um, right. And mm-hmm. and saying I'm going to develop this at, at the pace that I'm comfortable with. Exactly. And I'm not going to make a big risk in it. Right, right. right. Um, you know, I love my job, um, and uh, you know, I thought this would be good. Beth, Beth, you mentioned retirement. This is something I want to take take into retirement with me, and you know, hopefully, do this because this, this is something I have a passion about, um, and and I want to grow it. I just, you know, I I like the um, options out there. You know, Great. I'm going to make new products and grow this. Great. How about you, uh, Teresa? Um, what do you wish you had known before you started? <laughs> well, wow, that's a big question, but I'll tell you what I do know um, is that I had some wonderful resources available, definitely the University of Maine. If people are looking to make a product, here's one of the several things that I would tell that person. Um, Ask questions, lots and lots of questions, and to connect with the the organizations that they, you know, really feel are going to be able to provide those those structures and those answers. Um, you know, the Small Main Business Development Center is uh, an, an incredible resource because they will connect you with the places you need to go. Um, you know, if it wasn't, Beth sat down with me and did a flow chart just even for, you know, my building of how, you know, when you take a wet product and you make it dry, then what do you do with it and how do you you know so it was like really being able to identify all the different um, possibilities of contamination and you know so you know don't be afraid to ask the questions don't be afraid to think outside the box you know certainly you know when I told people that I wanted to go and harvest blueberry leaves they really thought I was weird and um, you know and I didn't stop you you when you get a dream go for it don't well I bet they, I bet they said the same thing about the person who first har- harvested tea leaves yeah what are you doing over there <laughs> why are you picking those right right, right. And, and so that that notion that you could take a product that that wasn't being used um, absolutely yeah. absolutely ask the questions and just don't be afraid to explore and experiment and you know try different things and you've got so many resources available and ask somebody great how about you jeff did you you find that there were questions that you or or things that you wish you had known before you embarked on this on this path yeah first i would totally agree with teresa about surround using the resources available 
and, mm. and listening to the resources uh-huh. and doing it, listening to uh-huh. what people tell you, even if it's uncomfortable or something you don't want to hear, right. um, to, to, to really consider it and listen to it. And it can help prevent you from wishing you had not done it uh-huh. that way. Uh-huh. Um, and then the most recent one is I wish I learned I'd learned how to properly pitch a concrete floor. Uh-huh. Why um, would that be? Well, <laughs> very exciting. So we just, uh, in April, we purchased a, a building for our business in Rockport, and we're going to be moving down there in another few weeks, uh, Route 90, right in front of the, uh, just about in front of the Camden Hills High School. And we recently poured a new concrete floor in the building. And mm-hmm. uh, Now, most people want their floors flat. You know, no, you don't no, want to no, flat, flat floor flat okay. at all. So. And why is that? Oh, well, so we, when I make tofu, we uh, we make a huge mess, mm-hmm. like a really big, like yeah, substantial mess. Um, and we hose everything down. And when you hose off the walls, you want it to run down the walls and right down the floor into the drains. Right. So yeah, on a um, production day. Uh, Starts at 5 a.m. I get there, and where the actual production run goes up until maybe noon, maybe one o'clock, and then um, we're cleaning until five or six o'clock, including setup, and that's two two people doing that cleanup. So there's a good five to six hours of uh, cleanup mm-hmm. with two people cleaning. Sure, so, sure. So yeah, you want a, that pitch right? It's a really big. Mi- yeah, <laughs> you want the pitch right. Great. What other kinds of things, Jason? That are are do people? You think they ought to think about? At the at the beginning, questions that you think they should ask themselves. Anything else that comes to mind? Well, um, I don't get much into the marketing side, so I can't really say <laughs> much about that because usually I'm saying, you know, sometimes I get an idea. I go, okay, uh, who are they going to sell that to? Right. But that's not my area of expertise. No, but but it's it's one of those questions that you want people Absolutely. to have asked. Right. 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 Yeah, do they do the market to figure out can they actually sell this? Yeah. Um, and you know, Jeff touched just on points like pitching a floor. It's it's, if you're designing a facility, it's being comfortable with your contractor that they can answer the questions and they can actually then um, basically do what they promise. Mm-hmm. That's key. Because right, right. all the time, oh, yeah, yeah, we can do that. We can put this floor down and don't worry, there's going to be a pitch and there's going to be no low spots for water or don't worry, this, the walls are sealed. And, and then you get there and you go, well, apparently we didn't have that conversation. Sure. So that's that's tough. So it's really becoming comfortable with your contractor, the folks doing the work. Mm-hmm. Um, and as Jeff has learned, you know, there's a lot of things that you, you learn along the ways when you're working to develop or build a facility. But the floors are beautiful. It's <laughs> great. They, they, we, they got polished yesterday, and they're, oh, they're, yeah. they're gorgeous. So they, they, they did a great job. Uh, Beth, Beth, what would you add in terms of questions you hope that people would ask themselves or ask their mentors or or resources? Sure. I was going to actually ask if I could follow this up because uh, Jeff has a nice commercial facility. I get a lot of questions from folks who are at the beginning stages saying, can I get my home kitchen licensed? And that's a big yes. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of folks think there's a misconception that they have to have stainless in their home kitchen to be able to get licensed, and that's not true. Just as long as it's easily cleanable, surfaces, non-porous, two-bay sink, you're all set. So our main Department of Agriculture, they're really willing to work with folks um, if they're producing low-risk products, uh, mostly baked goods, jams, jellies, most of your canned food products, candies, confections, dry mixes. You can produce that under a home kitchen license. Great. Yeah. And that's, that's one of those myths, as you said. So is Maine a good place to do business? Mm. Excellent place mm. to do business. And why do you really. say that? Why do you say you that? You know, Maine is its own brand. It really is. And I think, you know, when we stop 
you know, at one point there was a political saying that, you know, we're shovel ready, but we're really farmer ready. We have some wonderful farmers and we have people who are wanting to take local made or local grown products and make something really wonderful out of it. So that value added piece is there. So yeah, we are, we are, we're farmer ready. Great. Anything else you guys, why you think Maine is a good place to do business? Oh, well, I was just going, going to uh, very um, briefly yep. um, um, piggyback off what Beth said about the kitchen inspection. Uh -huh. I found information out there that, would, that was somewhat misleading about stainless and all that. You don't need that. They're excellent to work with. Great. Excellent. Great. So. And, and how about you, Jeff? Is Maine a good place to do business and why? Oh, yeah. The, just the resources out there available are great. And something about the scale, it's just the size of the community that we're in. Mm -hmm. There's just there, there, what's available for who's there and the amount of people there are. It's just uh, it's a good scale. Good. And any uh, final word uh, from Beth or uh, Jason in terms of what um, people should hope for in, in the future in terms of your services? Well, I, I would say the biggest thing is don't hesitate to ever call, contact us. Email, phone call, any of those things. We're always happy to, to help you out, even if you think the question might be something silly or mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Just, just contact us. Great. And that website, um, we don't necessarily have it here, but University of Maine Cooperative Extension, yeah. you'll, you'll get that. Go to Google. Great. Oh, <laughs> They're great. <laughs> Beth, anything to add? Uh, we're very approachable, and yes, if you, you are. Uh, yes, so uh, and we do answer the phone. It shocks people sometimes. Oh, it's you. Yes, <laughs> it is. <laughs> How are you today? <laughs> or email. If you can't reach us via phone, you can always reach us via email. Great, great. Well, thank you so much. Uh, this has been a, a wonderful program, and I'm so happy to have you in the studio sharing your stories with our guests. Um, let's see, I've got the wrong sheet. We've come to that time when I want to remind you that this program was produced with co support from Cooperative Extension and the Hancock County Extension association with offices in each county cooperative extension is the major educational outreach program of the university of maine our radio collaboration with weru began in 1990 and continues with your support and by the way our pledge drive is starting tomorrow and i hope you'll be generous as you think about the way that weru makes a difference in your lives Join us from 10 to 11 on the second Friday of each month for Talk of the Towns. Our theme music is a medley from Coronac on a Balmain House Highland music recording. Thanks again to our guests in the studio, Beth Calder and Jason Bolton, both of the University of Maine Cooperative Extension, Kevin Burgoyne of Rossam LLC, making a barbecue sauce down in Cumberland, Teresa Gaffney of Highland Blueberry Farm in Stockton Spring, and Jeff Wolowitz from Hiwa or Hewa. Uh, tofu um, in Belfast, soon to be Rockport. So that's great. That's great. Um, thanks to those of you who um, um, listened. Nobody called in, so we can't thank you. Thanks to our underwriters. Thanks to Amy Brown for engineering our program, and stay tuned for On the Wing. This is Ron Beard, your host for Talk of the Towns, wishing you a good morning. Good morning.